0: Welcome back to the MarTech
1: Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss one of the hottest topics in digital marketing, content. Joining us is Dave Snyder, who is the CEO of CopyPress, which provides content marketing products and software focused on content ideation, creation, and content promotion. Prior to leading his team at CopyPress, Dave has held operational and leadership roles spanning across SEO, search, social, and product marketing verticals. And today, Dave is going to tell us about his view of the content marketing landscape. Here is our interview with Dave Snyder, the CEO of CopyPress. Dave, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. I have to say you sound wonderful. You clearly have your own microphone. Great to have a wonderful sounding guest on the show.
2: Thanks. I appreciate that.
1: The dulcet tones of David Snyder by the MarTech Podcast. (laughs) So to start off, why don't we talk a little bit about you and your background. Tell us about what led to you starting CopyPress and how does CopyPress help its customers?
2: My route to where I am now is an interesting one. I actually thought I was going to be a musician when I was in college. I have a degree in creative writing with an emphasis in poetry, which is very valuable, as you can imagine. So when I got out of school and I realized I would not be a musician, I became an English teacher. So for three years, I was a middle school teacher. And for those of you to get a visual, I am a 6'2", 300 pound and tattooed bearded man. So every day, these 12-year-olds would walk in and see me standing there. <laughs> About three years into teaching, I realized I couldn't support a family on that. So I decided to be a copywriter and I faked my way into an SEO job. Told them I knew SEO. I knew very little. Turns out I was very good at it. And then within six months of that, I started my own company. Started several agencies since, and I've worked with some of the biggest companies in the world doing consulting. And then CopyPrint was an offshoot of that because in 2010, content was largely commoditized at that time. It was pre-Panda update with Google.
1: Let me ask a quick question. You mentioned that you didn't have experience in SEO, but you found that you were very good at it. I understand you have a writing background and you're a creative person, but what made you successful in SEO?
2: It's a puzzle. And I've always been good at figuring out puzzles and trying to figure out what makes things work. So I think that's what made me inherently good with it was figuring out you move this this way, you move that that way, and then try to figure it out from there.
1: Sounds like not only there's a puzzle, those multiple pieces that fit together, but it was really the strategy of SEO that you enjoyed.
2: For sure. And it's why I'm not a technical SEO today, right? (laughs) I focus more on the content side because it's the fun part of it.
1: So you started after transitioning from being a poet and a musician to an English teacher to an SEO operator, you started doing your consulting and that led you into copy press?
2: Yeah. In 2010, we saw that the market was largely commoditized. Pre-Panda, people were paying a penny a word for content. And we had a vision that people were going to start paying a premium for better content at some point in time and that good writers were going to want more pay.
1: You mentioned pre-Panda for the non-SEOs who are listening, SEO being search engine optimization for the non-marketers that are listening. What do you mean by pre-Panda?
2: So 2010, two major updates came from Google. One was Penguin, which was a large link-based algorithm shift And the other one was Panda, which was a content-based shift. Before that, you could kind of put a bunch of filler content online and rank for things. And Google said, no more of this. We want quality. So they released Panda, and uh, the world's never been the same since.
1: Right. So basically, once Google figured out how to evaluate whether a piece of content was not just large and had relevant keywords, but whether the entire piece of content was relevant, that changed the landscape for all SEOs. Yep. Okay. So tell me a little bit about the landscape today and tell me also how copy press fits into that space.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. For post Panda, we went through this thing where everybody got really into storytelling for content marketing. And the idea was, we just want to tell a story with your brand. And now I think people are realizing, oh, wait, we need to make money because we're marketers. So now we're seeing a meld of, Well, we need to create content that's engaging in storytelling, but we need to also look at KPIs and metrics when doing this as well.
1: Right. So there's the balance of building a brand around your company and sort of articulating what your vision is. And like you said, storytelling, but also having a purpose that drives business results, which is more of a call to action. Talk to me a little bit about how people are using content more for direct response marketing vehicles as opposed to just position what their company is about.
2: I think really great companies are doing both at the same time. I think really great companies figure out a way to build a funnel. We talk about it a lot with our clients where you're building content that entertains and then moving people down to content that informs and then content that converts. And you're creating an ongoing engagement with a consumer as well. And you're seeing really good marketers also look at secondary conversions. Like when I'm entertaining you, I'm also dropping a Facebook pixel for you that I can retarget you with ads later.
1: Interesting. So just to reiterate, you're saying that there's three stages in a content marketing funnel. First is to entertain. And to me, that's really about self-selection. Is someone going to be interested in the general topic that you're talking about What was the second stage?
2: The second stage is education. We call it learning center content. Things where people, when they're actively searching on Google, or if they're looking through different brands, they want to know more about what you do specifically, but they want to be educated on it.
1: Let's call it product research. Yep. I'm just relabeling what you're saying, but you're doing some self-selection, figure out who's interested in your topic. You're giving them content to educate them on how to make their decision. And then there's the third bucket where you're getting into conversions. Talk to me about how that works with content.
2: I think the art of the sales letter has largely been lost on the online age. People put together product pages that kind of look all the same now. And a lot of these are visually heavy and not as much contextually heavy. So really great product descriptions on e-commerce sites, really great product pages that explain and sell a product. I think those are the ones that win, where I can land on a single page and know exactly what this thing is and feel compelled to purchase then. And I feel like a lot of us when we're on a website, don't always feel that way.
1: So I want to walk through the three different stages and talk about the format of content that you're producing for each one. So we're going to go through them all again. And my assumption is when we're in the entertainment phase, that is short form content. It's graphically heavy. It's something that's just meant to get somebody to click on the headline. It's your clickbait type stuff. It's just your rich images to get someone to take an instant interaction so they can self-select that they're a potential target. Am I thinking about this the right way?
2: For sure. You got to think about the mobile age and the fact that most of these people are going to be viewing this on a phone. So it needs to be scannable content. It needs to be graphically heavy. It needs to not be too long. And the term entertain, I think people take the wrong way. Because if you're writing in a B2B space, you shouldn't go out there to make people laugh about it. But what you're doing is trying to find passive views, People that will see your content on social media and be like, oh, this is an interesting topic to me. Something somebody would share on social media if they're in your vertical, no matter what it is.
1: So talk to me a little bit about the distribution component of this. I called it clickbait. I don't mean it to have a negative connotation, but the attention grabbing type content that is meant to entertain. How do you get that into social networks? Do you rely just on search? How do you distribute and syndicate it?
2: I think if you're a company building up a home base where you can distribute, it's kind of one of the keys, right? Uh, Having a great Facebook page that belongs to you, but also utilizing brand advocates. Like you had Joe Sinkowitz on to talk about influencer marketing. If you don't have brand advocates already, you can go find brand advocates that can help endorse your product as well. I'm not a big believer in blogging for blogging's sake. So you see a lot of companies fail at it because they just put up content and then they have a Twitter that has like 100 followers and they put it there. And that's kind of where it dies. We need to think bigger than that. Where are the people that you're trying to integrate with? Where do they live? Or how can you interact with them?
1: Are there forum syndication tools or community outreach tools that you've heard where you're able to take this highly engaging content that doesn't require a lot of investment from companies? Is there an easy way to get your content into Reddit and Twitter and whatever Facebook forum?
2: Easy in terms of time investment, I don't think so. I think there's lots of tools that do things like I like Buffer as an example for managing my own things, but a platform like Reddit, as an example, it's all about time investment and becoming an active Reddit user. And I think that's another thing that most companies do inappropriately is they look at these things as, well, we'll just go out there and do this without spending the time actually cultivating what it is, social media, social relationship with people on the platform.
1: Yeah, Reddit to me is one that I've never, as a marketer, been able to crack the nut on. Maybe it's just because I'm not an active Reddit user, but every time I go, I post a link and then I'm done and I never really see a lot of engagement. I don't spend a lot of time in the communities. So it's one of those where I see people doing marketing on Reddit, even though that Reddit does a nice job of filtering out the direct marketing. I know it's a platform for a lot of people that drives a ton of traffic. I just don't really understand how it works.
2: Yeah, I think that's a core. You find the places that you do understand and you understand the community and how to engage with it. And then you go from there. We have all of these options in front of us like a buffet. It doesn't mean we should be utilizing all of the options. We should utilize the options that are best fit for us. Again, back to the B2B example, Reddit might not be the best fit. There may be some subreddits that match, but maybe LinkedIn is the place we need to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I understand how you're using this entertainment type content to drive some engagement, get some interest, and you're syndicating it. You're kind of doing hand-to-hand combat, it sounds like, to distribute your content. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex, ready to take your team from I think to I know. Talk to me a little bit about the next stage in the funnel where you're focusing on, I think you called it the engagement type content where you're doing your customer education. Yeah.
2: So the educational content, that's going to be your longer form content, right? You're answering questions. So if you were selling parts for a washing machine, you would be answering questions like, what is an agitator? And then in that content, you would try to build what they call the 10X content. The one piece of content that answers all the questions related to what is an agitator.
1: Yeah, the thing that sticks out in my head is that this is where you're answering questions, right? You're educating. And so naturally you have to understand who your customers are and where they feel like they need more information to get them into the purchase funnel, right? You're trying to drive them to be ready to make a purchase decision. Right. In terms of the distribution of that type of content, There was a push mechanism that we were talking about with the entertainment content. You have to go and you have to get that in front of people. Is there a pull mechanism that you're using to educate your customers? Are you still sharing that in the same places?
2: So two types of people are going to hit that educational content. It's either going to come from people that hit your product pages at the bottom of the funnel and want to know more about what you do before they make the purchase. It could come from people on the blog content that are now, okay, I've been entertained, but now I have information. But this content is really geared towards Google and organic search. Google has done this thing where they've become very adept at taking informational queries and separating them from commercial queries. So a great example for people listening to the podcast is Google the term mattresses or mattress and then Google the term buy a mattress. You will get two distinctive sets of results. Mattress will give you a commercial result where you can buy things and buy a mattress will give you how-to guides on how to buy a mattress and select it.
1: Interesting. I think that what you're talking about is organic search. People are constantly specifically looking at their mobile phones and asking questions. It also gets into voice search, answering questions as well. And people are relying on search to answer those questions. I do think that there are some push mechanisms to educate your customers. And this is your email marketing. It's getting people to follow your social accounts, follow you on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, depending on what your products are, LinkedIn as well. And there's also some retargeting there to be able to syndicate out the answers to commonly asked questions to the right person at the right time. So I do think that there is a little push pull at this stage of content marketing.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you have somebody in your organization creating these types of pieces, that person should also be on Quora, as an example, answering questions in your space. There's gonna be a similar type of content base.
1: Absolutely. So talk to me about this third part of the content journey where you're actually trying to get someone to convert. It sounds like this is really your product pages.
2: Yeah, and this is going to be content that's the shortest format, probably of all of them. And it takes a skilled copywriter to be able to inform the person on what this product is and then motivate them to buy. If you're talking about an e-commerce type of play, you may only have 200, 300 words to inform a person about this is the product that we're looking at. This is why you should buy the product. Again, this is the part of the entire bucket that I think people fall into the biggest trap with. Because, well, e-commerce, as an example, I have 10,000 products. I need to write product descriptions for all of them. We can't waste money on high-end content. We need to just pay a penny a word and get as many as we can done for SEO. And what you're leaving out of that equation is conversion. Is this going to make somebody buy the product?
1: So it sounds like this is where you have to choose your words the most carefully. You're really trying to drive somebody over that final hurdle to become a customer. When you're driving people to your product pages, how are you getting them there?
2: So they're gonna come from multiple different ways. One is just through this funnel we've created where someone's interacted with their brand and been entertained, they've learned more, and now they're on the product page. They might enter through the middle of that funnel where they found answers to their questions on Google, and now they're on your education page and go to your product. Or people may find your product through recommendations, through PPC, through Facebook ads, or any kind of social ads you might be running i think your product pages are where you're probably going to have the most channels open funneling people into purchase
1: it brings me to my next point of when you're looking at creating this copy funnel and you have your three stages how are you evaluating the roi of the multiple different stages so
2: we've actually built some machine learning that we utilize and What we do is we track what channels we're getting the traffic from, and then tracking them all the way down through into the conversion level to see how much traffic did we drive from this? What's the value of that traffic? What's the conversion? And what's the actual cost for the piece of content we created? And I think, again, going back to what I said originally, storytelling versus KPI-driven content, those are the steps that are missing for most content marketers, They think only about, well, I need to entertain or inform, but they don't think, all right, but this has to drive a sale.
1: How do you know when somebody is ready to go on to the next stage, right? Somebody's looked and engaged at a piece of entertainment content. How many touches do they need to move into the product research phase for you to start sharing and pushing your other types of content? Then once they're educated on the product, how do you know when to start pushing them towards products?
2: I think every consumer is different and every market's different. I'm a big believer in using the whole Buffalo. And so you mentioned it before, using email marketing as a way to share the blog posts we've written if you haven't been back on the site or somebody who has been on the site. Maybe I'm retargeting them with some of my educational content on Facebook. So in the B2B space, we see it being up to 9 touches for someone before they engage with a product. So I think every market's going to be different. But what you don't want to do as a marketer is leave it up to chance and say, all right, somebody who lands on the blog will eventually become a customer. Now, what's the next step there? How are you pixeling them or grabbing their email address or moving them down that funnel?
1: Yeah. I think that's the biggest takeaway is that as a marketer, you need to break up the customer relationship into multiple different points that are all tracked separately, right? You're treating your customers different if they have just had their first impression as opposed to somebody that has read multiple different pieces of educational content. Now you're farther down the funnel and you have a different purpose for them. And I think that what you said is it's different for every brand. And I think the hardest part of content marketing for me is understanding and assigning value to here's what it's worth for someone to come to our website, as opposed to here is what it's worth for someone to read a piece of educational content. I understand how to evaluate what a conversion is. It's those earlier stages in the funnel, being able to figure out what you should pay to drive someone to the end there. That's tricky to me.
2: Yeah, I think it's what most people when they're putting together budgets for content marketing have a hard time with. The idea that... Because again, we have tools that can help us say, if we build this piece of content, we think we'll get X traffic from search specifically. right? And we think this could yield Y. But the reality is there's a lot of iteration that has to happen with content. So you have to actually spend the money to produce the content and get into the game and then change it up over time to really optimize those results. It's no different really than ad spend, right? You don't ever just jump on a new ad platform and have success.
1: I think the big question for me, and this is the last question that I'll ask you for this episode is when marketers who are thinking about building a content marketing strategy from scratch, what's the level of investment and the amount of time that they should set aside to be able to do it the right way? How much patience do marketers need?
2: So, I take a lot of calls with potential customers where they're like, you know, we want to start a blog. As soon as they say that, I usually get a little squeamish. And, you know, we want to do four blog posts a month and see how it goes. Those people I always drive back to the KPI side because I don't know what they're trying to achieve. The way I look at it with everyone is this you really want to go at content marketing. Think of what you would want to spend if you would want to hire somebody internally. If you had a body in your office just writing or creating content for you. So obviously, that's not a choice for everyone. But when you're outsourcing it, you can't take that figure and then roll it back to $400 a month right? to expect ROI. So you need to say, okay, my effective spend needs to be a portion of what a full-time person would be. And then I need to give this thing 6 months and then have a 12-month plan. So your first 6 months is your iteration time. And then your 12 months are your changes that you want to make from there.
1: I hear you. And I'm pushed back a little bit. I think that there's multiple different ways to create content. People can create content on the cheap, and some of it can be effective. Often it isn't, right? If you're not paying for quality, often the returns won't be good. But if you're strategic, you can find writers to produce valuable content that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be experts, right? You can replicate the same type of content in multiple different fashions. And that's really an SEO arbitrage game more than it is just focusing on creating unique blog type content. I'll give you an example. I created a dictionary for a guitar lesson startup that I created. And really, all I was doing was copying somebody else's content and having a writer basically just rewrite, hey, here's all of these posts, write it in your own words. And I was able to create hundreds of pieces of content for a dollar or two a post.
2: Right. But the core there is you did hundreds of pieces, right? I think the issue that we see a lot of people, it's not about how much they're spending per piece. It's about volume. You think about it like batting and baseball. I have a lot of people that come through. It used to be when I did a lot of viral consulting and be like, all right, I want to go viral. It's like, all right, we're gonna have to take 10 swings at this. Yeah, You're not going to take one and hit a home run.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely something I agree with. Having run content-focused businesses, you never know which blog post is going to be the one that drives 75% of your traffic, but one page is going to be the most important one. When I was running my guitar lesson site, there was a service that Google bought called Songza, which was a song recommendation engine, I think. And we wrote a blog post of like the top guitar tabs for songs recommended by Songza and it drove like 75% of our traffic, but we created 400 other pages. How are we going to know that that was the one that ranked super high for how to play guitar? There was no way for us to know that. Maybe there's advanced technologies now that can do that. Search Metrics was a sponsor of our podcast. CopyPress, you might have some algorithms that can predict those things. But at the time, it was you shoot a lot of shots to figure out which one is going to be the most valuable
2: and then take that data once you've had that win and say, okay, how can we replicate and learn from this?
1: Okay. I think this is a great stopping point. We covered a lot today and we're going to get into more detail in our next episode. So that wraps up this episode of the MarTech podcast. Thanks to Dave Snyder, the CEO of CopyPress for joining us in part two of our interview, which we'll publish tomorrow. Dave is going to share his advice for creating an effective copywriting strategy. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Dave, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can tweet him at Dave Snyder, D-A-V-E-S-N-Y-D-E-R, or visit his company's website, which is copypress.com, C-O-P-Y-P-R-E-S-S.com. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thank you for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you, so we created benjshap.com slash question, where you can send us your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. My handle is benjshap on LinkedIn and Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with Dave Snyder, the CEO of CopyPress, we've got some great episodes lined up over the next few weeks so hit the subscribe button in your podcast app, and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Okay, that's it for today, but until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy.